Welcome to the EMS Educator Podcast, powered by Prodigy EMS. Join us for relevant, high-quality discussions around the best practices in EMS education. You'll find interviews with experts in EMS, education, simulation, medical direction, leadership, and more. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the EMS Educator Podcast. I'm Rob Lawrence. Unfortunately, my partner in crime, Hilary Gates, isn't with us today. She is on other duties as assigned. However, thanks to the power of industrial lights and magic, Hilary's recorded us a nice setup for this podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Hilary Gates here, letting you in on a truly one-of-a-kind educational event, CEs included. I know you are teaching and using research in your classroom, and that all of us in EMS strive to use evidence-based medicine in the field. Well, now you can hear all of that latest research in a 24-hour EMS research marathon. That's right. For 24 hours, starting on November 30th, you can get your learn on at the annual International Research Conference 2021 Global Developments in Paramedic Research. This is a free conference with free CE by Prodigy, and it's all organized by the UK College of Paramedics in collaboration with co-hosts, the Australasian College of Paramedicine and the Pre-Hospital Care Research Forum at the UCLA Center for Pre-Hospital Care. These 24 hours will accommodate all time zones and is the first ever paramedic conference-a-thon, as far as we know. Speakers include senior researchers from across the globe, plus over 60% of the sessions will be delivered by people who have submitted their abstracts for consideration. We'll have panel discussions, interactive sessions about how to get into research, and once started on your research, how to keep developing it. Once again, Prodigy will be offering CE credit for these courses, so join your fellow nerds and get the latest evidence-based medicine on November 30th. You can search for PC. RF Research Conference on the internet to find the registration link or check out the show notes from this episode. Hillary, thank you very much. And Hillary will be with us next time. And we're already started to plot our next podcast when she is in the room. However, what I have in the room right now is an international cast of research superstars. And uh, I'm, I'm going to introduce uh, my first guest, and he needs no introduction, so I won't give him one. Yes, I will. It's uh, the one and only UCLA's David Page. Dave, welcome, and tell us a little bit about yourself for those that that one person in the world that possibly has never heard of you. Oh, uh, probably the millions and millions. Uh, I am the obscure uh, uh, director of the pre-hospital care research forum at UCLA and uh, continue to work on the ambulance at Alina Health EMS and am a, a senior adjunct lecturer at Monash University as well in Melbourne, Australia. And so we're going to move swiftly around the world to Julia Williams. Julia, welcome. Hi, and thank you for inviting me on today. Uh, so I'm Julia Williams. I'm a professor of paramedic science at the University of Hertfordshire, which is um, just north of London in the UK. I'm a paramedic and I also head up research for our professional body, which is the College of Paramedics. At the same time, I'm, I work for Southeast Coast Ambulance Service, and that's where I do my clinical, and, and I also undertake clinical research in that NHS organisation. And moving swiftly around the world again, Linda, welcome. Thank you, and hello, everyone. My name's uh, Associate Professor Linda Ross. I'm the Deputy Head of the Paramedicine Department at Monash University in Australia, Melbourne, Australia, um, and also Chair of the 
Australasian College of Paramedicine Research Committee. So as we heard Hilary beautifully set us up, we are going to talk about the research-a-thon uh, a little bit later on. But first of all, as I have uh, folk from the colleges, and as Dave pointed out before we started to record, we're not talking about an academic pay you $50,000 a per semester type college. Let's talk about what the colleges are, both in the UK and in Australia. So let's go to you first, Julia. Okay, so um, yeah, the college in the way that we're talking about it. So the College of Paramedics in the United Kingdom is the, re- the recognised professional body for all paramedics in the UK. So that includes England, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. And the College of Paramedics was established around 2001 in the UK, and I think we have about 26,000 members now. This is a college that helps develop the paramedic profession, um, and our key role really is to promote the paramedic profession paramedic profession in all areas, really, Um, whether it's working in ambulance services, whether it's in acute hospital trusts, in general practice, whatever the clinical setting is for our paramedics, because we reckon that only about 70% of our 27,000 registered paramedics in the UK still work for the ambulance service. So the ambulance service is still um, a large employer, but there's a lot of other paramedics are working in, in alternative settings. So the college is around taking our profession forward. It doesn't only have paramedics as members. We also have student paramedics as part of that. Um, and we have what we call associate members who may be people working in um, related areas who are not registered paramedics. Excellent. Thank you. And let's go down under. Um, So our college is very similar to the one in the UK, and that's hence why we've aligned with uh, the UK College uh, for the running of this exciting conference. So the Australasian College of Paramedicine is, again, a peak professional body representing and supporting paramedics this time across Australia and New Zealand. Um, The main uh, areas that the college advocates for and works in is is the education space, educating, um, providing professional development opportunities. And also as chair of the research committee, we provide a lot of education activities uh, to do with research. Um, So similar to Julia said, it's all about advancing the profession and providing knowledge, um, events uh, and things for paramedics. Now, in both the UK and in Australia, EMS, uh, ambulance services, paramedicine is a profession. And indeed, you have some protections, like I can't walk around calling myself a paramedic, for example. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, people who, if there was anybody who was walking around calling themselves a paramedic, we do have protection against that because that is called a protected title in the United Kingdom. And if you do those sorts of things and you claim that you're a paramedic without being registered with our health and Care Professionals Council, then there would be serious consequences for that. So, David Page, react to that one. Wow. Well, first of all, I'm in awe of our friends in, in the motherland, the UK, and, and, in, and the folks down under, because they have really, truly protected our profession and have uh, created registration and independent practitioners. Uh, typically, the education in the UK for a paramedic is four years. Uh, and university-based in Australia, three years university-based. And all of the uh, programs have some uh, research requirements, some activity that either undergrads need to do 
to learn to read the research, learn to appreciate research, or even get involved with research. I find it amazing that we have uh, paramedics completing PhDs in uh, some in, in large numbers. Uh, Linda can tell us how many are at Monash today, but uh, over 20, I believe, are currently in progress uh, at just that one institution. And um, that means that uh, people helping shape the future of our profession are using evidence to do so. So that's what we're all about. We, we want to try to get more evidence to do things with science, not just uh, because it felt right to do so. And I have to say that I go back with you maybe 10 plus years now, Dave, and I watched the various, uh, the, the hard work that you've done to get people into research and things like when we have the EMS World Expo poster presentations, and it went from sort of one to two to three to rows to lots to, and so that's all credit to you. And there are many others that are now following your footsteps. So thank you for doing that. We're going to come back to talk about the uh, research conference in a minute. But for those that want to get into research, uh, if, if they're not in an academic program, where do you start? Well, I'll jump in right away and say that um, I, I consider research uh, pretty much curiosity. So we're researching things all the time. If we want to buy a new phone or uh, a new pair of pants, we think, well, what's the better one? What's interesting? What's What are the features? What, what do we need? And so um, really being curious about what works, what doesn't work is the beginning of that process. And we we tend to make a big deal out of uh, doing formal research, but um, but research is happening all around us. We just need to uh, learn how to formalize it in order to be able to share it with others. And honestly, uh, really, when you you think about research, it's really about publishing your your methods or telling your methods and a little bit of a recipe of how you did that research. As an example, if you're doing a systematic review of what's been written already, all you're doing is explaining how it is that you went about your search to find all of the articles that would appear to be on that topic. And then you you publish it. And it's one it's a it's a it's a way for somebody else to be able to follow that recipe and see if they get to the same results at the end. So what are some examples of within your UK and Australian sort of academic programs where you've you've taken research from that idea all the way through to publication and then all the way through to implementation? Obviously you were researching a problem or a or a conundrum. So what what have you produced from soup to nuts, as it were. Uh, so I'll, I'll uh, start off with an example there, if you like. So yeah, a, a few years ago, I undertook a PhD. As Dave said, um, plenty of people at Monash University undertake a PhD, and I was one of them. Um, and, and for people starting out in research, I, I think I just want to make a point that everyone starts at the beginning, whether it's a career in research, whether it's you know starting as a new EMT or paramedic, everyone starts at the beginning. Um, and not everyone, you know, no one starts as an expert. So it's a journey. So everyone has to start at the beginning and remember that even though you're working with someone who knows a lot about research, they started back at the beginning as well. So I just want to make that point that it may seem onerous and overwhelming, but everyone started as a as a novice. Um, so again, starting at off my PhD, um, I was interested in um, paramedics' ability to build rapport with patients, in particular older patients. Uh, we have a aging population in Australia, as we do around the rest of the the, the world, um, and it's important that paramedics develop that initial rapport with patients. So, one of the research projects I ran, um, I'm sure some of you would be familiar with a, a setup um, speed dating. 
Um, we, we didn't have our paramedic students dating older people. I might we'll make that clear. Uh, but we set up a, a program where we had some older um, people from a, a local village, retirement village, come in and we had paramedic students sit opposite them. Uh, they had five or ten minutes to have a discussion and then, you know, the music would chime and they would rotate around a la the speed dating. The whole purpose of that was to allow paramedic students to you know, just lift that veil of, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to sp- say to them. I'm not sure what to talk to them about. I'm worried about getting their blood pressure and asking them all these questions to just have that rapport building conversation with them and treat each other as human beings. Um, so that that went very well. And, and now I guess to the point is we now have implemented that in our undergraduate program where we regularly bring older people um, in to act as patients or to have interactions with our paramedic students. Again, what a fine example. I remember seeing some research, I think it was out of Sydney, in fact, where they put a GoPro on a patient on the chest and then walked the patient through the system just to show how much reaction and interaction that there wasn't occurring. And I thought that was exceptionally telling. It was literally, you know, someone on a phone, someone having a sidebar conversation. I think that's that, that's superb. And actually coming back to the UK side of life, back in the day when I was the uh, Director of Operations of East Anglian Ambulance, based up there in Norwich, one of the rites of passage of even student medics was to start off on the PTS, the patient transport service, because A, it was longer transit times, and B, you actually have to talk to people. And that really set you up to be, to get on onto the 999 stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think research is a bit like that, really, because what I would love to see is people really engaging with research. I don't want to see people feeling... Um, excluded from research or that it's something separate to to our professional work. It isn't. Everything that we do in research in in our profession should be to advance the profession, um, to impact on patient outcomes ultimately. We need to, I think we have to try and get over this sort of barrier of research isn't for me. Oh yeah, that's something that sits on the outside. So I'm not going to lie to you. Many of my students, and I've been teaching paramedic students research for 26 years now, and, and many of them do not see the value of research until they've left the program. And actually, it's a bit down the track that they suddenly go, oh, that's why we did it. And I think that is really starting to change now. And I think that's so exciting. And that's why things like, um, you know, the upcoming conference, which I know we're going to talk about later, but, you know, to have this whole conference that's really revolving around work that paramedics and people related to our profession are doing. And it's going to be so, so exciting to see how they're actually impacting change. Indeed. I mean, from, I've been in the US now for 13 years, and you know, I've realized that we've moved from good old-fashioned anecdote to true evidence. And as Dave knows, my favorite four-letter word is data. And so by employing all of that and then getting it into a peer-reviewed paper gives you the evidence to start rattling in front of the, you know, the, the people that can make the vote or change the day. And so therefore, I'm, I'm a convert and always have been. But uh, is it getting easier now to get research published in order to affect change? Well, I think we've always had a problem uh, with, you know, the trustworthiness of sources. And you mentioned peer reviewed. And I think that's a jargon, a term that we use for um, when we want to publish something that actually has been looked at by our peers and is uh, where the methodology and the referencing is is really looked at to be impartial and, and, um, and not just driven by by commerce, for example, uh, or conflicts of interest. 
the, my, my mentor, Baxter Larman, uh, loved to do simple experiments with his students in class where um, if you thought that you could suction an airway, Let's let's put two different suction machines and see which one sucks better. Uh, and my paramedic instructor said, uh, "Well, if you if you think that mass pants, I, I know I'm dating myself, uh, are a good thing, how quickly can you put them on?" Um, so uh, so we had to do this uh, and and compare the two and keep track of the times. Um, students uh, today could easily get involved in small projects in the classroom that will be exciting and fun. And uh, they simply are learning about the curriculum by doing a bit of investigation, a little bit like, uh, uh, well, what happens when you put oxygen on a person? Because yeah, we practice that all the time in a class. And does their pulse ox increase? Does their entitled CO2 increase? These are experiments that we could incorporate in our curriculum so that it's kind of fun. I, I had my students um, always involved in, in research during their internship. And, um, you know, a shout out to Candy Backus, who's, uh, God rest her soul, no longer with us, but she 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 did two projects that were unbelievable. She asked paramedics if they prayed for their patients when she was out, out doing her internships. And sure enough, she found that many paramedics said prayers for their patients. Um, another another student was fascinated by the thought that maybe paramedics were smoking marijuana. And so uh, they devised a nice transparent box and some in a survey where people could put it, put it, an anonymous X and feel comfortable that they were replying anonymously. And um, the student found out that this uh, scarily that 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 um, most of the paramedics that uh, they surveyed had, had at some way had some uh, use of marijuana in the last week. So we have these curiosities in some cases. In other cases, you can see uh, David Wampler is a paramedic and PhD in, in San Antonio. He compared the use of four alcohol preps, little alcohol preps, waving them underneath the nose with Zofran as a way to stop people from vomiting. So who can't just take a little bit of an alcohol prep? Even uh, the most simplest of first aid provider could stop someone from vomiting if this was equivalent. And he proved the equivalency. We gave him an award for best research that year because the simplicity of some of these projects, um, whether it's comparing two therapies and saying which one is better or doing an intervention and seeing the, if the intervention fixed the problem is the way we would advance the profession with science. So experiences from both the UK and Australia I mean, in, in the same sort of vein as Dave's uh, story there. Yeah, sure. So, you know, another example we did with within our program is um, we wanted to look at defibrillation safety and how particularly novices were aware of their surroundings and things going on. So that situational awareness, which we all know as paramedics, is very important. So we employed um, some eye-tracking um technology and, and goggles so that we could monitor um, students' uh, pupil gaze uh, to see where they're actually looking during an event doing CPR and defibrillating a patient. Um, so it was very interesting to analyse that and, um, and, and find out, which probably proved our hypothesis that perhaps novices are um, focused so much on what they're doing that they're perhaps not aware of, of their surroundings. And importantly, that they were safe during defibrillation. So that, that was a, an interesting project. 
I'd just like to follow on to say, you know, as Dave said, you can start small, you can start anywhere, and it's usually good to start with something that you're interested in. Um, no one wants to research something that's, you know, obscure or not relevant to them and their profession. But I think the key is also that it that it's done safely and, and ethically. And there is an ethical, you know, process that you have to go through, an approval process. So just wanted to make that point that we can't just go out and do testing on patients without, you know, going through the proper ethical procedures first, which I'm sure people are aware of. I just wanted to make sure um, that we, we put that in there. Julia? Yeah, well, I mean, just to pick up on what you were saying, like you said, you can start Start small or anywhere between small and and mega large, frankly. Um, and I was just thinking at the, a couple of examples that we have at the moment is one piece of research that was done by a, a student um, looking at accurate placement of ECG electrodes for a 12-lead ECG. Now, most of us will probably think, oh, yeah, paramedics, why, why would we be doing that? Because, of course, they can do it. Well, seemingly from his small-scale research, which we need to do more work on now, seemingly we can't do that particularly accurately. So, and so that little piece of research was presented at one of our conferences over in the UK, and that also won, won an award for um, research most likely to affect practice. And that's being developed into a bigger study. So from little studies, larger things actually do grow. And at the moment, I've got three PhD students all working on the same project, looking at um, aerialization of COVID. Because when we, when we talk about do these things, why do we do research? Well, if it wasn't for research, I would argue that we would probably still be having this battle that COVID-19 is fomite spread predominantly and that aerialization wouldn't be being considered. So thank goodness for research, frankly. So that's a much bigger study. And, and for me, the key to successful research, without a doubt, is collaboration. So collaboration and context all the time for me. We Working on our own, we're going to miss so much. Working with other professions or other people in our own professions, that has to be a fundamental thing that I've learned over the years for successful research. And so the word collaboration segues beautifully into what's coming up with the International Research Conference 2021. This is truly a global event. Um, Whilst uh, some of you will be sleeping, some of us will be talking, and it will just keep going around the planet. And this is so exciting. Dave, are you going to stay up for the whole thing? Uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I don't know how conscious I'll be. You know, they say that if you're sleep deprived, you reach a moment where it's a bit like you're intoxicated with alcohol. Uh, I'm just going to pretend, you know, as the night goes on and we'll see what happens. So the format of the conference then, totally global. For you guys, how are you looking forward to it? And sort of, would you like to pick out some some particular topics you're looking forward to hearing? Let's start with you, Dave. Oh, I'm I'm excited. Um, you know, I, I've, I've always uh, wanted to listen to uh, Professor Ian Roberts talk about the Crash 4 project. And so this is, uh, for those that don't know about it, the TXA use uh, pre-hospitally. So we have some some very strong clinical uh, type work, but um, we just gave an award to Ginny Renkowitz in the U.S. for best research this year at EMS World Expo, and she's going to present um, the secondary tra traumatic stress in emergency services project, which is about suicidality, compassion fatigue, the effects of vicarious trauma. Um, such important work, such groundbreaking work. You know, again, we can talk about suicide all we want, uh, but do we really know what's happening? And um, and here she undertook this uh, quite seriously, and we'll hear we'll hear from her 
so that she can really uh, show us what what some of that compassion fatigue can be. Um, it's amazing to have the collaboration though, because um, you know uh, the the Crash Four project is a UK project, and then we'll also be able to to jump all the way across uh, uh, the globe. And listen to uh, you know uh, Sally uh, Hannah Osborne uh, with Louise Reynolds talking about women in paramedicine. So um, uh, really a wonderful collaboration. Yeah, I think and I, the collaboration for me is again. <laughs> sorry to keep banging on about it, but it's absolutely fundamental. But the the thing I'm most excited about is that when we um, went out for a call for abstracts on this, we had so many high-quality abstracts coming in with such a range and diversity of research from literally all over the globe. And we have 54 presentations that have been selected through abstracts. So this isn't a conference where we have just put in, um, you know, the, the, the big guns, if you like, the people who we thought everybody would like to hear about this is this is um it really was a competitive process and we've got i, I can't even scratch the surface really but uh, we've got people talking about um the obviously the impact of covid was was going to be something we thought we would see We've got people um, like Richard Pilbury looking at um, accuracy of triage tools for adults with COVID. Uh, we've got ethical dilemmas on the front lines of COVID being presented from, from Lindsay Berkler from Canada. There are so many. And incredible panels, too. I think that um, some of the panels that, that uh, we'll be looking at are uh, with representatives from each one of these countries and also South Africa in some cases. Uh, amazing discussions about everything from how to uh, do mixed methods research and how to get published to much more uh, uh, clinical topics involving patients in research. Uh, I know that's a passion of Julia's and, and I share that. How do we how do we get the patient's voice into it? Um, how do we use uh, networks and databases and um, perhaps even social stru- social media structures to do research? Um, really amazing collaboration. Linda, what are you looking forward to? You know, like um, Julia and Dave, I'm absolutely super stoked that, you know, we have some great presentations from people across the globe and not just our three countries. I mean, there's representation from Canada and New Zealand. I'm most looking forward to some of the panel discussions. I mean, the rise of mixed methods research, I think we can't underestimate the importance and the value of mixed methods research and the complexity of it. Um, So that will be interesting. Also discussion panel about how you balance a research and clinical career. I think that will be really um, good. And, and also what's kind of come to the fore in the last few years is the use of social media um, to publicise, you know, research amongst other things. And how do we determine what's, I think it's titled The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. So how, how do we tell that, you know, things that we're reading on social media, are, uh, um, you know, have the right the right rigor and you know we can trust that what people are saying is is correct it's a little bit of a minefield so that'll be an interesting one for me yeah disinformation has been a word that we've now become used to hearing certainly in the last 18 months and uh, you know that started at the who when the pandemic started uh you know talking about beware disinformation because people are going to try and use it to influence you know to influence health with a political bent and we've certainly seen that everywhere um and uh, social media is is phenomenal our, our own shop here 
Prodigy, we created a free uh, online education program for, with, with free CE, and we actually crowdsourced 30,000 um, EMTs that signed on for it just using the power of social media. So you can use that to the, to the power of good all the time. I love that, um, I, you know, we, when we look at the presentations that are, that are going to be uh, part of this, it might surprise people that some of them, some, we have more in common than we have apart. And, and when you look at some of the, perhaps the words won't be familiar to some folks. So when the UK talks about non-conveyance, we talk about patient refusal, and yet we have very similar issues. What happens to the patients that don't get transported is a fascinating fascinating concept that breaks uh, international boundaries, right? And everything from new techniques like evaluating point of care ultrasound to uh, to some, some uh, cutting edge stuff with whole blood. And then back to really simple stuff like uh, minimum vital sign documentation and how that's helpful or not. Um, defining paramedicine, which Professor Williams, uh, Brett Williams will do, and, and um, some uh, really beautiful non-clinical, I would say, but very important to our profession, presentations about stress with Brian Haskins and uh, from Australia as well. So um, really interesting using smartphone-activated volunteer responders uh, in, in cardiac arrest. Uh, I, I can't say uh, that that uh, I've ever seen such a great group of folks uh, come together in 24 hours of uh, one one uh, one day, one 24-hour period of, of research a thon. Yep, one turn of the planet. That's what it's going to take. I was going to say that having having had the luxury and and really the honour of travelling the world in this EMS journey that I'm on, starting in the UK, going to Virginia, now in LA, uh, I'm slowly moving left around the world. I've come to realise that the paramedics lot, no matter in which country you're in, is the same. And you stick any paramedic from any countries in the room, and within ten minutes they have the same issues, they have the same complaints, they have the same things that make them laugh, that make them cry. And hopefully we will realise when we get together is the fact that we are one you know that the world is but a village here and we're all in it and i'm think i'm really looking forward to that and, and and to people getting that realization yeah i think you're absolutely right i remember when i was um over in australia in queensland actually and i was out on a uh, road shift and it was just so bizarre if we were in in the middle of Brisbane, and if I shut my eyes, the conversations and the scenarios were exactly the same. It was just the accents were different. It was it was a most bizarre experience. It's it's the same. We uh, the, the Richmond Ambulance Authority, where I used to be the chief operating officer, we were part of the Pan American Trauma Society, as Dave knows, and we would have doc young doctors and medics from all of Central and South America come to us. And once we got over the language barrier, we again had the same issues, concerns, um, frustrations and ambitions and and that's very encouraging for the for the paramedicine within the house of medicine and i think the same for research because i'm a real believer that um, we are stronger together and it's always surprised me that it's taken this length of time to get together in research because i'm always hearing about what's going on in australia or i mean south africa or canada and north america and i think why are we not doing more collaborative research? Because so much of it is transferable. And and I think this for me is this is a pivotal event that hopefully, you know, will will actually grow and blossom into an annual activity. But the networking from it is is potentially 
potentially huge. This podcast is case in point. We are 12,000 miles apart at our furthest extremity right now. And if we can do this and have a conversation like we're in the same room, then there's immense hope for the future, I think. I remember uh, one of the, I, I had to write a column on, on research. I didn't have to, but it was it was an honor to try and bring research to the forefront. And um, the first article I ever looked at was a Tasmanian research project on the use of oxygen and the fact that we were giving too much of it and we didn't probably, patients with less oxygen had better outcomes. And I, I thought, you know, looking back at it, I, I, I have to tell you, I was scared to death that I was going to pick the right article. And I wondered, what, what are they doing down in Tasmania, that oxygen, you know, is this like a complete reverse, the toilet flushes in the opposite direction? So in in in, in the land down under, then oxygen is worse for you than up in the, in, in the US, where oxygen had to be given to everyone because that's that's what you did. And so, um, so it was the first time that I really looked at a well-done research project, pre-hospital research project, that showed that patients who got blasted with oxygen did worse than the ones that were given controlled amounts and titrated. And this this is really a story about how we do the same job and we can learn from each other and everything from ambulance crashes, which have plagued us worldwide, to um, the use of tourniquets or, or uh, the use of backboards. Uh, a great project. We also gave, gave an award to, to um, the group in San Antonio. David Wampler put video cameras on patients on long spine boards and drove them around just in the parking lot. And he proved that patients sitting up move less than people who are strapped down to this hard board that's sliding around. That's actually not true. And uh, when we when we debunk them with evidence and we advance the profession, then, then we stop doing the things that were really injurious to patients. Interesting hearing you talk about um, Tasmania, um, which is for people that don't know, very um, the island on the bottom of Australia. And um, if you have been there, they actually bottle the air there. A claim that it's the freshest air in the world, and you can actually buy bottled uh, air in Tasmania um, and ship it to the mainland because it's so fresh. So perhaps that has something to do with why they started researching um, giving oxygen to patients down there. Wow. Oh, also, Dave, go to the stalls and ask them for a long wait. <laughs> with your bottled oxygen we're getting near to the end now in terms of time but any final thoughts you want to give us from your respective countries on both research and obviously in looking forward to the conference which is coming up in november yeah so from from the australian perspective we're, we're really excited to be part of this international conference and really looking forward forward to the 24-hour period like dave i'll attempt to stay awake but can't promise anything. And I'm just so excited that, you know, we've not only got researchers of really high caliber and and the breadth of topics as well. You know, it's not all just about clinical practice, but, you know, we're starting to get some of those um, themes that are, you know, more themes of the future coming in, like the patient's perspective and dealing with paramedic health and well-being, which is really a, a topic that's of utmost important. Yes, we care for our patients, but we also have to look after the the health and well-being of, of the paramedics. So um, really excited and, you know, on behalf of the Australasian College of Paramedicine, really um, pleased to be involved. Um, so what about you, Julia? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, when I first came up with this idea, people thought I probably needed to take a holiday and maybe the, the stress of COVID was getting to me, a 24-hour conference. Um, but I'm, I'm just over the moon that we're so near to this event now. And 
I am going to stay up for all 24 hours. I, you know, and I'm amazed that my colleagues are thinking that they might stay up. <laughs> um, I think one other thing that I would like to just give a plug to, though, is that as well as the oral presentations, we've got a vast array of really high quality posters that are coming in. And that's a real opportunity for the audience to have a look at, in their, you know, at their own pace at other research that's going on as well. And we've got some wonderful posters to do, ranging from mental health and well-being of paramedics through to um, aerosol generation um, and and risks of COVID and things like that. So for me, this is this I I think this is just a highlight of the research calendar in the globe now. And uh, yeah, I know we haven't delivered yet, but looking at the program, I am truly confident that this is going to be an event to be remembered and treasured. And it's the start of a new thing because, Julia, you, you've given us not just one year. We already have dates for next year. We're, we're absolutely ecstatic that it, it, it is not just going to happen once and go away. And um, I, I think that uh, you, if I hope that by people listening to this, they realize that it's not just a bunch of stuffy academics that are going to try and describe randomized controlled double blind trials, which we never had money to do in the first place, but we... We want to really actually get that cutting edge. What is what is so new that it hasn't yet been in textbooks? It hasn't yet gotten to be to change our profession, but it will. And so by tuning in, I think people will hear what it is that is right on the cusp, right on the on the edge of, of science. And and some of it is good science, some of it needs to be improved. But um I'm so excited, uh, by the way, Rob, uh, just to put a plug in for our, our U.S. sponsor for Prodigy to package this and have it available afterwards in the U.S. for CAPC credit uh, will be a gift that keeps giving. So if you can't be there at the exact date and you can't be up all 24 hours, you will still be able to gain access through it uh, at the UK College of Paramedics and at, at the Australasian College of Paramedicine. All of all of us will be able to uh, access this uh, at no cost, thanks to our sponsors and uh, and and also throughout the year to assign it to our students. If we're educators who want to incorporate some of these these studies that again might be great studies, it might be terrible, uh, and we we need to to keep teaching our students what is good science and what's just uh, really not going to work. So I'm, I'm excited that this is a permanent archive that will will really give to the profession and will be usable by the people listening to this podcast. And you're quite right, Dave, that uh, Prodigy is very proud to be a sponsor and uh, we're going to package it up, as you say, and as we say, powered by Prodigy and looking forward to that. More details uh, a little bit later on. So if you're listening out there, no matter which part of the world you're in, you can uh, follow it all on Twitter at hashtag Pararesearch21. And you can also follow the individual associations uh, on uh, Twitter. UK College of Paramedics is at Paramedics UK. Uh, the Australian College of Paramedicine is at AC Paramedicine. And of course, Dave, if we want to follow you at UCLA, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, we're at PCR, PCRF at UCLA, PCRF at UCLA, and our, our website is prehospitalcare.org. Excellent. And with that, I'll thank you all, and we will see you very, very soon, no matter which time zone you're in. Set the date, get the coffee on, and stand by for 24 hours of pure research. Guys, thank you. <laughs>